You are listening to Move With Radiance with Stephanie Dankelson, a podcast all about redefining your relationship to exercise, food, and your body by learning how to first redefine the relationship with yourself. Are you ready to discover your inner truth, your inner radiance? Because there is a more freeing way to be fit. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Move with Radiance. I'm so excited you all are here, and I'm really stoked to share this conversation with you guys. It was one of those one of those conversations where afterwards I was just totally lit up and so excited like the rest of the day and wanted to like post it that minute. <laughs> so we just dug into so many things that I have sort of had on my mind and was like, how do I get this out to the world? And then this conversation happened and it was like everything lined up. So we'll dig into that. Um, I wanted to just kind of share, I told you guys before that I was um, embarking on a journey to become a certified hungry for happiness coach. And, um, wanting to make sure I keep you guys posted with my progress because I think that just sharing my, my current struggles is, I don't know, something that I appreciate about this space. And if I'm asking you all to be more vulnerable and explore the internal things that's going on within you, I feel that it's my duty to also talk about the things I'm struggling with because how can I expect you all to do the same if I'm not leading by example, so to speak? So um, just wanting to ex- like share one of these light bulb moments that I had this week during my coaching call um, with Sam over at Hungry for Happiness. And we've been exploring this concept of like how, where do we feel safe in our bodies? And if you would have asked me that question five years ago, I would have told you like, i I don't at all. I nowhere in my body do I feel safe. I don't, I don't even want this body. I don't want to be in this body. And so, you know, being in the place I'm at today where, you know, I've kind of done a lot of, I mean, I've done a lot of work and then also just doing more internal reflection recently, I've realized that I feel really safe in the places I didn't feel safe before, especially around, you know, food and trusting my body's instincts and, all this kind of stuff that, and like even just trusting myself to make hard decisions and go after a life that feels authentic to me, those things are really foreign. So that was a really exciting realization. But something else I've learned is, and if you listen to last week's podcast episode, um, you've sort of learned my story around, um, you know, my losing my job and kind of this like uncertainty piece, but I still have a negative relationship or some sort of like blocked relationship with, um, uncertainty. And Sam asked me, she was like, well, can you change your relationship to that word? And immediately, you know, when the word uncertainty came up in that conversation, I felt my chest fill with anxiety. And I realized in that moment that I have already created a story and a meaning to what that word means in my life based on my past. And even without even knowing like anything about like what the word uncertainty, like just the word uncertainty, like gave me an uneasy feeling. And so that was just a big realization in what stories I'm attaching to that word and how can I start, um, finding safety in uncertainty and knowing that whatever happens in my life is happening for me, not to me. And knowing that like, whatever happens, I can make it through to the other side and knowing that that's just part of my journey. And that's just something I'm working on right now is really changing my relationship to the word uncertainty and not being so afraid of, of, um, trust in one that like things happen for a reason. I, I, I'm a personal believer of that. Um, And also, you know, I, I have a lot of, um, trust issues. I I think that's the way it came all up is like, I said, I, I feel safe and trust in my own body, but when it comes to like things outside of my control, like, um, friendships or, you know, circumstances that, um, just happen as a result of something, I, I don't trust those things just because I've had a lot of broken trust in relationships. I've had a lot of broken relationships and friendships in the past. And so I, 
am sometimes holding myself back because I'm afraid of being left in a broken state, whether that be, you know, losing my job again or being broken in a relationship. So really cool realizations. It's definitely not a easy place, you know, digging up old stories and pieces of your past that have, you know, you've kind of, um, put, put in a place, you know, on the side of your brain for a reason. It's not easy, of course, but it's always been so rewarding and looking at the, the work I've already done. Um, I know that it's, it's going to be worth it. So just wanting to share, you know, where I'm at right now. And if you are, I'm, I'm assuming if you're listening to this podcast, you're on some sort of self-discovery and, and journey of your own. So I just say, keep going, keep digging and keep trusting, keep being gentle with yourself because, um, there's, we talk about this in the podcast, but you can't, it's, it's, it's really hard or nearly impossible to heal if you're not able to look at your past from a place of non-judgment and, um, if you're not able to remove that shame around it. So just keep going. A little bit about what we're actually going to talk about today in today's episode. Um, I sat down with uh, Kara Cefeli to talk about all of the things. Um, We dig into her new book called Body Wisdom, um, which we'll talk about a little bit, uh, you know, what her book is about. And um, we also talk about what it means to become your own health expert, um, listening to your body, how to apply like an individualized filter to information we're consuming. Um, We talk about weight loss and how it doesn't directly relate to health, um, cravings and what they mean, sugar addiction, comparison, and I mean, so much more. So if you have at all struggled with how to be the decider of your own life and wanting to learn more about listening to your body rather than what everyone else is telling you, then this is the episode for you. So let me tell you a little bit about Kara. Kara Cefeli, known as Kara's Kitchen on Instagram, is a passion-filled food lover and believes that what we eat affects who we are and how we show up in this world. Before realizing this, she spent most of her life chasing the body, career, and life she thought she was supposed to chase to be fulfilled and admired. Now as a heart-centered entrepreneur and holistic health coach, Kara is truly doing her soul's work, helping others heal the relationship with food and connect them more deeply to their body so that they can discover what really matters to them in their lives. She's been featured in Mind Body Green, Recovery Warriors, Elephant Journal, The Feed Feed, and is the author of the book, Body Wisdom, a guide to rediscovering your relationship with food, trusting your intuition, and becoming your own health expert. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Kara. Kara, welcome. Hello. Hi, Stephanie. I'm really excited you're here. I recently found you on Instagram and was just like, I need to have this girl on my podcast because I resonate with like basically everything that you ever say. (laughs) I'm well, I'm so glad you reached out. I'm really excited to be here and excited to talk with you. Like just what I've learned about you, like prior to recording, we have so many parallels with our lives and our stories. So, yeah, so many good things to talk about today. Um, well, you just released a new book, which is so exciting. Congratulations. It's called Body Wisdom. Um, We're definitely going to dig into that today because they're just so many good nuggets. But um, I want to start with having you tell everyone a little bit about you. And I always say your story, and that's just, that's a big sentence. But wherever you want to go with that, let's start there. Yay. Okay, cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, So... I'm a health coach now. I'm a holistic health coach. I, um, I help women heal their relationship with food. I have, I've had male clients in the past, so I don't want to like say I only work with women, but right now everyone happens to be a woman. Um, and I help women like get over dieting and disordered eating and binge eating. And the reason why I do this work is because I had an eating disorder for 10 years. And I started dieting like around 14, 15, and the dieting led to like crazy restriction, which was like very much an eating disorder, anorexia land. And then eventually the anorexia restriction later led to binge eating and bulimia. And, um, I, I just dealt with it for so long and it really made me feel like my life wasn't my own. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. And um, the pursuit of thinness and the pressure to be thin was really took away a lot of joy in my life. And for the longest time, I thought it was about the food. I just was like, I just need to fix the food. I just need to find the perfect diet. What's the right way to eat? And I was like in this constant pursuit of like figuring out the right way until I realized that it had nothing to do with the food. And it was really about all of this internal dissatisfaction and just being really uncomfortable with who I was, not knowing who I was, not feeling like I was enough, not feeling like I was worthy. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't enough of insert whatever. And I felt like I wasn't enough of it. And once I started to um, realize that it wasn't so much the food was also the same time I started to like learn about health and nutrition outside of the world of weight loss. Like right around like my early twenties, I started to learn about food politics and I started to learn about our food industry. And I started to learn about like, you know, plant food is medicine. But up until that point, it was only ever in the world of weight loss. It was only ever diet culture. And so it was like opening up Pandora's box in a way. Like all of a sudden I started to learn that there was so much more wrapped up in the act of eating and in our food choices than just gaining and losing weight. And that really inspired me because all of a sudden I was like, wow, there's all these other things to worry about than just the size of my body, which is part of what inspired the book body wisdom. Um, but like you, I, you know, I did all of this personal development and all of this like self-help work and like really was dealing with things from my past and what I felt like internal, basically I stopped trying to fix my internal state with like an, a shiny exterior. And yeah. Then, yeah. Okay. No, that's good. I didn't want to interrupt you, but <laughs> um, and and yeah, so eventually I got to this point where I was like, I can't live like this anymore. I was like, something's got to give. And so I just made the decision to myself that I was going to get better. I was just like, I'm worthy of my own love. Hating myself is not working. I'm just going to try loving myself instead because I am in so much pain. <laughs> um, and I really want to be happy. And so I was like, I don't care what I have to do. I'm prioritizing my health, my happiness, I'm prioritizing, prioritizing self-love more than anything I had previously been prioritizing, which was like some physical pursuit of, you know, for physical perfection. And I just gave it up and, um, and threw myself into, again, like the personal development work and learning about our food industry. And, and that I got, that was five years ago at this point. And so, yeah. Uh, I mean, literally everything you just said was like to a T my journey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the thing that you said, you said worthy of my own love and you stopped and it had nothing to do with the food. And that is the piece I think that we are missing today. So yeah. many people try and fix with food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It has nothing to do with it. Yeah. Like there's a Janine, I think it's Janine Roth. I think her quote is like, how you eat is how you live or like, your relationship with food is a, is a mirror for your relationship to everything else in life. I think it's her who said that. Mm. Um, but I think it's easy to focus on the food when really like it's, it's actually a coping mechanism for something else. And like when we have problems with food, often it's like an indication of something else going on, but it's really easy to focus on the food. And we're also like systematically taught to focus on the food, you know, here's the perfect diet equals perfect life, you know? Yeah. So what did that process look like for you? Um, when it's, when you're like, okay, it does have nothing to do with the food. And how did you, how did you realize like, maybe this is personal development or things, something I need to work on? Like, what did that look like for you? Um, I think I started to realize that like the, the insecurity that I felt with my body, I started to realize that like, I was like, trying to love myself by shrinking my body. And I realized that it didn't matter what size I was, I was never happy. And so I was like, okay, well, it has to be something else. It doesn't have to do with the size of my body because my weight has fluctuated all over the place. I've been like rail thin and I've, you know, and I've been like, you know, a happy medium. 
And then I've been in the body I'm in now. And it was like, it was never the size of my body. And so I just, I realized that. And I was just, I was like, okay, this isn't, this isn't giving me what I want. I, I want what it think I, it was like, I didn't really want like weight loss or the perfect body. I wanted what I thought it would give me. Mm. And I realized that like, it wasn't giving me what I really wanted, which was like peace and happiness and like respect and acceptance and passion and purpose and like love and, you know, creativity and connection. And so I just was like, I'm just going to start pursuing those things instead. Yeah. And so I think that then too, when we do that, we, we free up so much space in our brain to be able to actually focus on those things because food and body image and the pursuit of weight loss and all of that takes up so much space all of the time. So, um, yeah, Yeah. I I was just obsessed with food. Yeah. (laughs) That's all I thought about all day long. It was like, what should I eat? Should I eat? Did I eat? Yeah. Oh, you're right. It like, it takes up so much brain space. And like, I just imagine what would be possible for women if that brain space was freed up. Like what could we create in the world? You know, seriously, like we would be unstoppable if that just wasn't the thing that we thought about 98% of the time. Totally agree. And so I imagine then your journey, um, that inspired then body wisdom. Um, will you tell us a little bit about your book and we'll just start there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So body wisdom kind of stemmed out of this question that I kept getting asked. Mm -hmm. So prior to becoming a health coach, I owned a restaurant in Arizona and I cooked all of the food and, and I also had a food blog for many years. I'd had had a food blog like the entire time. Like I worked a corporate job and I had a food blog for years. I had a blog and an Instagram while I had the restaurant. And then after selling the restaurant, I really threw myself into uh, my Instagram while I was in school to become a health coach. And I always would get this question of like, what's the right way to eat? Or do you think I should eat this way or should I eat that way? And it was, it was like so many people are like, looking outside of themselves for the answers on the right way to eat. And I was like, and I had read intuitive eating. And so I was like, gosh, I was like, the answers already lie within. And I realized this, like with everything that I had been exposed to with our food industry and these large corporations and these other companies that like, don't, don't truly have our best interest in heart. They may have good intentions, but ultimately like the information is biased to an extent. And so I started to realize like, oh, we just need to trust our bodies. We need to listen to our bodies, you know, hunger and fullness cues, like the act of intuitive eating. We need to ask ourselves what actually, what foods do we actually really like? What are, what are we, what is appetizing to us? And a combination of like my distrust with the food industry and like diet culture in conjunction with what I had started to call like body wisdom of being like the answers already lie within. I just need to trust my body on what to eat um, is where the book was born. Um, So like to give you an example is like for the longest time, I thought that like sugar-free stuff and diet, diet soda was like the healthier, more preferred option as opposed to like real sugar, because like I had confused the pursuit of weight loss with the pursuit of health because of, society and the messages I was receiving. And I was suffering with like debilitating migraines. Mm. And like one day I just decided like, maybe I'm going to try not having sugar-free stuff. And eventually like my migraines went away and I was like, wow, I feel like I've been lied to. (laughs) Like I, like I was always told that like sugar-free stuff was the better stuff for health and weight loss. And it was causing me debilitating migraines. And so this like, you know, I'm giving you like 10 years of my life in a nutshell, but the book was sort of born out of that. So it's a combination of like how I actually learned to develop my own body wisdom, like the information that made a difference for me, like how I started to trust myself. It's not that I don't value other resources and other doctors and other nutritional information. I value that stuff a lot. And I've learned so much from other people. And I've just like, developed like a filter, so to speak. I've just decided like, okay, I get that that works for them. And I get that that's true. Sometime. Does this feel true for me? Does this feel like 
something that works with my body. And so it's sort of like my journey, the information I found valuable and like, it's almost, it's like a how to, it's almost a work. It's like a workbook after every single chapter, there's specific things for you to do. There's specific actions for you to take to help you start developing your body wisdom. That's amazing. And one thing, there's two things you said that I want to dive into a little bit more, but one of it was, um, you, you said that you tangle, like there's, there's been like a tangling up of the pursuit of health with the pursuit of weight loss. Can we talk about that just a little bit more and what that means? Because I totally agree with you. Like that, I feel like is standard today. Yeah. Um, I mean, it comes from everywhere. So like it comes from diet culture. So you'll see like these, like, you know, fit people, people who fit our society's version of what healthy looks like, right? Like jumping across the TV screen also, you know, who are happy and like, look at me. And they're like selling some type of diet or like meal delivery service or something. And it'll be like, get healthy, lose, you know, 12 inches in nine weeks or lose, you know, 14 pounds in seven days or whatever it is, you know? And then in combination with that, in conjunction with our medical system's use of the BMI, so being like, ooh, a healthy weight is a BMI of 19 to 24. And if you're not within that weight range, then you're not healthy based on your weight. And so I think in conjunction with what we're told from society and with our medical system's limited scope of what health looks like, we have confused the pursuit of health with weight loss. And if you look at the science and you look at the research and, you know, based on all the books I've read, I love health at every size by Dr. Linda Bacon, that like health is actually like such a tiny, I'm sorry, weight is such a tiny, tiny piece of the puzzle when it actually comes to what health is. And that like metabolically speaking, you can be a very healthful person, even cardiovascular from a cardiovascular standpoint, you can be very fit and healthy and not have a BMI of 19 to 24. And on the flip side, you can also have a BMI of 19 to 24 and not be healthy. And even looking at it through an eating disorder lens, I have for most of my life been what we would call a healthy weight, a BMI of 19 to 24. But like, I was very unhealthy. Like I was starving myself. I was binging. I was purging. Like I was contemplating like, suicide. Like I was anything but healthy, even though like I had quote a healthy weight, you know, like I had a healthy looking body. And so I think it's easy to think that like, Oh, if we just have a body that looks a certain way, like everything else is going to work out. Yeah. It, I think that's one of the biggest things right now that makes me so upset. (laughs) And we were talking about this before we started recording, but like these powerful individuals who are sort of leading this health and fitness industry or these big companies that sort of were leading all of that. I think, like you said, there's a, there's a right intention or like there's a underneath it all. There's this, I don't think they're intentionally trying to do what we're saying here, but it just is so, because people don't understand that there's this kind of health at every size. Like you can be a certain BM, a higher BMI and still be healthy. You know, they're trapped in that mindset, you know, and it just, that's what keeps this moving. And the, the diet cycle keeps going because this kind of stuff isn't communicated. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> no, it's not communicated because the diet industry is a billion dollar industry every year. And lots of people make lots of money on our insecurities. And And like you said, it's, I don't think a lot of people are ill-intentioned. I think that most people are good intentioned. And sometimes, especially if you haven't ever had an eating disorder, I think you might not be aware of like how it affects people, you know, like before and after photos like are very triggering, very triggering. And they definitely contribute to the thin is better conversation, right? Like, buy my product, do my meal plan, work out with me. And you can go from this body to this body. Right. And so it's like the before body wasn't good. Wasn't a valid body. Wasn't an acceptable body. Wasn't worthy of respect. No, you need the after body. The after body is what we're after. And I think this ties into the like 
the like thin does not equal health and that the pursuit of weight loss is not the same pursuit as health because like that person in that after body could have been be, be could have been participating in very unhealthful behavior and lifestyle changes in order to achieve those results right like they could have been restricting they could have been purging they could have been over exercising mm-hmm. things that like are can be really harmful to our health but like oh they look this way and this is this is how we all are supposed to want to look or how we're how we should look yeah it it drives me bananas because <laughs> just like you said that before and after it's like this body wasn't worthy and like you said for someone who has an eating disorder for someone who has struggled with that it the trigger around that is insane and I mean I just I read an article recently and um like, like again digging into all of this and how um like how diets, like 95% of them fail or like, and then, you know, a doctor, I'm sorry, I'm going now into like, my brain is like exploding because I'm so, I just, I'm so worked up about all of this, but like, you know, the, someone who goes to the doctor and they maybe have some health problems, it's automatically assumed that it's because of their weight. So you tell them to go on a diet and then there's this whole back and forth and metabolically it's all messed up. There's just not enough education. And (laughs) house in so many directions, but yeah, yeah, I get so worked up about it. Yeah. Um, so like, have you heard of Virgie Tovar? No. Okay. So she's a, like a fat feminist and she is like a fat advocate. She's like mm-hmm. fighting against fat phobia and weight discrimination. And she has this Ted talk and in it, she talks about this. I think it's in a Ted talk or maybe it's in another video. Cause I've, I've like explored a lot of her work and she talks about this woman who ended up having a lot of abdominal pain. She was in a larger body had a lot of abdominal pain and kept going to the doctor and the doctors kept being like, Oh, lose weight and it'll go away. Hmm. And she got, she got dismissed several times. And eventually it came back that she had cervical, she had cervical cancer and she kept being dismissed. Like her concerns were being dismissed because of her weight. So she wasn't getting the care that she needed. And while I don't want to blame an, any individual doctor, Hmm. um, it's a systematic issue. It's not the fault of any doctor. They're they live in the same world that we all live in. Mm -hmm. Like we live in a very weight biased discriminatory world. And like our medical, the education in our medical system has a very limited scope of what health looks like. And so I don't really want to blame any individual doctor. It's like a total, it's a top down systematic issue um, that we all face. And it doesn't just affect women. It affects men as well, but women's bodies have always been a commodity. So it definitely disproportionately affects us in my opinion. Totally. hundred percent agree. And I think just having, yeah, it's, it's, it's an educational problem, like you said, from the top down and like, it's, and it's, I don't want to, yeah, you don't want to blame any one person because you just look at the way all of it's been communicated for all of these years. It's no wonder, like, it's just, that's always how it's been. Right. And so I, that's why I think these conversations in your book and all these kinds of things are so important to begin to change that conversation and the way it's all viewed. Yeah. Huge. So do you have anything, I was going to pivot the conversation, but if you have anything else to add, (laughs) the other thing I wanted to talk about, which I absolutely love is the idea around like, is this info right for me? And the approach that you're taking on all of this information, because I do agree that there are certain ways of eating and certain ways of moving and all of these things that work for certain people. But how do we start filtering? Does that work for my body? Right? So let's talk about that a little bit more and how you've started to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, so this, so even before ever hearing of this idea of bioindividuality, I started to discover bioindividuality within myself. So this idea of bioindividuality is that like, we're all unique and that one thing might work for someone and it's not necessarily going to work for someone else. And so at the time, like years ago, I, I adopted a whole foods plant-based lifestyle for a lot of reasons, not just like animal, animal rights, um, but for several reasons, like the environment, food politics, farm subsidies, like, you know, cellular health, you know, vitality, all of these reasons. And I followed it for a really long time and, and it was very therapeutic for me. But eventually I started to realize that like, I wasn't feeling as 
great as I had used to feel. Like I, all of a sudden I was having these intense cravings for eggs and I was like, why would I be craving eggs unless my body was needing some type of nutrient? And so I added, eventually I added back in eggs and I was really afraid to tell people I was afraid that I was going to get judged and I was going to get like vegan hate. And like when I did come out with it on Instagram, I did get some vegan hate. Mm. Like totally people were judging me, but I was like, I'm feeling better in my body. I was like, there was something that my body needed that I wasn't getting from the foods that I was eating. And by adding back in eggs, I felt better. And I was like, huh, okay. So veganism isn't the be all end all. Not everyone should be a vegan because I was one. Although I felt amazing, eventually I started to realize I needed something else. And so I added it back in eggs. And then eventually, like like seven years went by and I was like this vegetarian, non-dairy vegetarian. And eventually I started to realize like, oh, wow, my body's like craving different things. Like I'm not feeling, something else is missing again. And so I started, I like after like months of being like, no, don't eat meat, don't eat meat for all of these reasons. I was like, I haven't craved meat in seven years. And now all of a sudden my body like wants a cheeseburger something's going on. And so like, I had my very first bite of, I had like a pasture wild, you know, pasture raised organic wild piece of Turkey, like a tiny bit of Turkey at Thanksgiving. And I was like, huh, I'm feeling, I feel different, but in a good way. And so my point of sharing this with you is that like, I feel like I tried every diet under the sun, like every commercial diet, like everything from like Weight Watchers to Atkins, like Jenny Craig, the master cleanse. And then I've also tried these like lifestyle diets. So like veganism, vegetarian, I did whole 30, which I had a great experience on, but I don't recommend for everyone. And I started to realize that like, there's no one right way to eat. And ultimately it's just like, what makes you feel good? And like, we need to have compassion for other people and the way that they choose to eat. Like we're so quick to judge people. We're so quick to point the finger. It's really easy for us to say the way you're eating is wrong, but it's like, you don't know what it's like to be in that person's body. So how do you know what's the right way for them to eat? And then like one of my favorite quotes is by Dr. Mark Hyman. He says that um, your body is the best consultant in the room. And I love that. I'm like, heck yes. Like, yes, listen to your body, but we are, we're taught to not trust ourselves. We're taught to not trust our bodies. We're not taught to trust the signals they send us. Um, and we're taught to trust authoritative sources and there's value in authoritative sources a hundred percent. And you also get to decide what's best for you. Yes. And we are so quick to, I see it all the time where it's like, cut your cravings, curve your craving, like if you're craving this is like, and then people blame it on their body. It's like, Oh, my body, but it's like, your body's trying to tell you something. Right. Yes. So yes. suppressing that and learning to listen to like, yeah, maybe I do need that. Maybe I do need some sugar. Maybe this, maybe this, like you eventually learn to eat in a way that feels really good to your body. And yeah. no one craving is bad. Just have the food that your body's asking for. Yeah. I love yeah. Cause you say, become your own health expert, like do like, that's listening to your body in my opinion. Yes. A hundred percent. I think it's taking, I think it's taking the art of intuitive eating to, to the next level mm. because it's not just about uh, healing your eating disorder. I talk a lot about that in body wisdom as well. It's, it's about healing your relationship with food. It's about becoming an intuitive eater. And then it's also figuring out what foods work for you. You know, like food sen- food sensitivities is really important. You know, for the it's like for the longest time I ate dairy because it was like low in carb. Like little did I know that I was like very lactose intolerant. Oh, no. You know, and then like eventually I stopped eating dairy and was like, holy crap! I've, I my experience in my body is entirely different now. But for the longest time I was like all about low carb, and I just and it's there's I'm not hating on dairy. It's just it didn't work for my body. And like, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, I want to feel good. So it's not, and it's also like, it's not that I can't eat it. I could totally go and eat it and like feel the physical effects later. But like, I consciously want, I like consciously am choosing not to, because I really want to feel good. And so this whole thing of becoming your own health expert, that's what I mean. It's like really learning to work in alignment with your body and to trust what your body sends you and actually to slow down enough to listen to it. Right. Like, like tune out the outside world for a little bit. Like literally what is going on inside of you? What is your body trying to tell you? 
like, like I think we talked about this before, but like, it's the only unbiased source of information. Like it's literally only looking out for you, no one else. So like trust the signals it sends you. We've been told to turn that off for so long. And I totally like, that's total. Uh, I'm so excited because that's like my, that's how I've learned to eat again. And it takes time. Like it takes a little bit of time to be like, oh, I can have this. And then to start differentiating between, you know, I think for someone who has an eating disorder, it starts with making all foods an option. And then you start having all the things you weren't allowed to have before in your mind. And then you start picking it apart. Like, Hmm, maybe this doesn't feel so good. It's like, I get down to the point where I'm the same way. Like, Oh, maybe I don't need a lot of meat this week. Like I'm kind of craving a lot of veggies. And then the next week I'm like, oh, I'm going to have chicken or I'm going to have this, I'm going to have this. And you totally start to f- like choose things that make you feel good. And yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I loved what you said where you were like, your cravings change from week to week. We're so quick to judge that. We're so yeah. quick to judge our way of eating. We're so quick to be like, no, we can't eat those things. It's like, if you have a, if your body is like, that sounds appetizing, like there's probably a reason, you know, yeah. but we're so quick to judge our food as opposed to honoring our body, you know? Absolutely. Like there's weeks I'm like, I need cheese. I need cheese. <laughs> and then there's some weeks that I just want vegetables. And yeah, it's, it's insane because your body is telling you those things. And just yeah. learning to listen to that is one of the coolest things I think that you can ever do. And it goes the same way with movement. Yeah. Right. We, if you don't want to do a hit workout, don't do it. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. There's so many parallels between like fitness culture and diet culture yeah. and the pressure that we put on ourselves. Like the pressure we put on ourselves to eat perfectly often mirrors the pressure we put on ourselves to work out a ton. Right. Like exactly yeah. what you said. It like, forcing yourself to do a hit workout when like you or your body really might benefit from restorative yoga, you know? And I think that that's where the art of like cycle syncing comes into play and learning more about your hormones as a woman and how there are different types of workouts that are going to benefit your body at different times throughout the month, depending on where you are in your cycle. Absolutely. Restorative yoga is more beneficial when you're on your period than a hit workout. But how many of us would be like, Nope, we got to work out three times a week and we don't honor the hormonal uh, we don't honor where our body's at in our cycle. No. And that brings up a whole other piece of this health part of it, right? Where there's some women who we, I mean, and this too, again, we don't have enough education about this, where if our hormones are all out of whack, like maybe there's ways of, you know, we don't need to do this kind of exercise. Maybe we should be eating more, or maybe we should be eating something different. And like this, this, insane pressure that we feel to continually continuously like push ourselves can lead to all of these other health like negativities when it comes to like hormones as women and mm-hmm. losing your period and again you can be at a healthy weight and a healthy body and not be getting your period and be and that's like so not good <laughs> yeah i feel like as, as sometimes, as much as we want to hate our periods because they make us bloated and they make us crave chocolate, having a period, you know, assuming that you're within that age range, you know, you're pre-menopausal, that's a sign. That's like a good sign that like your body's working and functioning, yeah. like losing your period, which is something a lot of us do have. Like if we have thyroid issues or if we're having, you know, we're over-exercising and we're not feeding ourselves, like that's a sign, that's like a sign from your body. Like, Hey, something's not right. Let's like, let's pay attention here. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's great. Like when we can learn to trust our bodies again, it can tell us so much more than any other health expert could possibly like, and I mean, again, saying that, but like, we know more than we think we do. Exactly. Yes. That ties into that story about, I was telling you about that woman that Virgie Tovar was talking about, like, had she just listened to that health professional and just like went like, okay, I'm just going to diet and exercise. You know what I mean? Like, she's like, I'm just going to really lose weight. Cause that's what the doctor said. As opposed to being like, no, something's really wrong. Yeah. And she listened to her body. She's like, no, like this isn't right. This is not about my body size, you know? And it's like, she trusted her body and she like went to different doctors to finally like find someone that would be like, okay, let's figure this out. Something's going on. Yeah, totally. Totally. 
Okay. So again, I'm going to pivot a little bit because I'm, I just popped in my brain. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Um, cause I had a conversation about this over the weekend and there's this whole stigma around like sugar's addictive and there's certain foods that are addictive. Right. And so people, um, it's like, we blame it on the food and then we should avoid that food because it's, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And then I, again, that creates a lot of negativity around all these foods. What are, I'm just curious of like what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. So, so I don't think food is addictive, not like how we're taught. I don't, not sugar. Sugar is not heroin, you know? Um, it's not nearly as addictive. Am I saying that like there aren't changes in your gut bacteria and like the more you eat it, the more you crave it. Sure. Yeah. That's, that's real, but that doesn't mean you're addicted to it by any means. And I used to, I went to, um, anorexic bulimics anonymous when I was, in recovery from an eating disorder, I didn't go very long because I didn't resonate with it because they were, they were treating it like an addiction. Like, Oh, your anorexia, your bulimia, this is an addiction. And like, I don't want to fault them. I'm sure, you know, that's people are entitled to have their own opinions and their own ways of healing, but it didn't resonate with me because I was like, I don't think this is an addiction. And so I don't believe in sugar addiction not like how we're taught at all. And if you read the science, like there's the stuff that rat study about the rats who um, were given cocaine water and who were given sugar water and like the rats preferred the sugar water. So, Oh no, sugar is as addictive as cocaine. I mean, that's like really inconclusive science, right? Like I'm sure the sugar water tasted way better than the cocaine water. Mm. <laughs> I'm sure that cocaine water tasted like gross chemically crap. Of course they wanted the sugar water. Yeah. So I think that that's the study that's often referenced I've read it many times uh, when we talk about this idea of sugar addiction. I actually think that that there is a psychological impact and a physiological impact. So that, like, if we tell ourselves we're addicted to sugar, we're te- we're literally saying we have no control. Sugar's in control. We don't have personal power. We don't have personal choice. So of course we're going to eat the entire bag of M and M's because we are addicted to sugar. And I think that telling ourselves we're addicted to sugar is is like a self fulfilling prophecy. It's almost like the placebo effect. So if you were to actually consciously choose, like I'm in control, I can have sugar if I want sugar. Sugar's not going anywhere. I'm not addicted to sugar. Then you're less likely to like lunge face first into it. You know. Totally agree. I also think too. When, especially for someone who restricts themselves from sugar, then they have the sugar and your body's like, oh, thank goodness. Then that's it it again. Like, and then also too, when you don't eat for so long, there's just, there's a lot of other pieces I think involved than sugar is just addictive. And yeah, Yeah, the willpower piece, go ahead. I don't want to cut you off. No, go ahead. (laughs) So the restriction, so like the restriction and trying to use willpower not to eat something, right? Like there's biological and psychological effects that happen. Mm -hmm. So like restricting yourself is setting yourself up to binge eat on something, right? Literally telling yourself you can't have something. You're going to have a heightened awareness for it. You're going to be like, oh my God, don't eat sugar, don't eat sugar, don't eat sugar. It's all you're going to think about is sugar. So then of course, once you cross that line, it's like, oh, you're off to the races. Just can't stop eating sugar because you've been like literally restricting it, either really restricting yourself from it, or you, um, have this like future perceived deprivation where you're like, Ooh, I better eat all of the sugar now because diet starts again tomorrow. You know? (laughs) So like, you're like, I better eat it all now because starting tomorrow, I'm never going to eat sugar again. You know, I'm going to use all of my willpower and not eat sugar. So like, you're right. The whole idea of restriction and not, you know, not giving yourself unlimited access, like whenever you want, like truly being like, what intuitive eating, um, calls unconditional permission to eat, like not granting yourself unconditional permission to eat, like literally being like, you can have sugar now, you can have sugar in 10 minutes, you can have sugar tomorrow, you can have sugar on your birthday, like truly embodying that belief of like, you have unlimited access to sugar. If you want it, that is going to put us in a restrictive mindset, which is just a trigger for uncontrollable behavior around sugar. Yes. (laughs) Everything. I mean, and it's, it's funny because I used to be that person where it was like diet starts tomorrow. So I'm going to eat this entire gallon of ice cream and make myself feel so sick because diet starts tomorrow and I'm not allowed to have it. I got an ice cream on Monday from like just down the street and I, I had four bites and I was like, 
I think that's, I think I'm like, that's enough. I put it in the freezer. So I'm like, I have this tomorrow. It's been in the freezer all week. Like I've never, like, I always thought I was, I was like, I want to be that person so bad. But if you give yourself that permission to like, I can have this whenever I want, your body eats what you want. And then it's like, oh, I guess I'm full. Like that was enough. Yeah. 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 It's, it's like a, I always say that, um, dieting is not about the foods you eat. It's about what you think about the foods you eat. Mm. So it's not that like eating ice cream is triggering you to overeat ice cream. It's not that the sugar, you're addicted to sugar and you can't control yourself around sugar. No, it's actually, it's literally the way you think about sugar. It's like your mindset towards the sugar. So like you've gotten to this place where you're like, you don't have it in your mind that you're not okay if you eat ice cream. You're like, if I want to have some ice cream, I can have some ice cream, period. You don't have it in your brain that like, oh my God, ice cream is the devil. Sugar is addictive. Do not eat it. Do not eat it. Do not eat it. So then when you eat it, you're like, whoa, okay. <laughs> All hell breaks loose. You eat the entire carton. It's like, it's not the ice cream. It's how you think about the ice cream. Totally. Totally. <laughs> uh, so many good things. I think this is just funny. It's so funny because I kind of read, I read, I was reading some stuff yesterday and I was, you know, how you read something and you're just like, I just want everyone to know because we're just like, you want to help so many people get out of that mindset. And I feel like this conversation literally hit on every single point that I wanted to talk about. And I'm so grateful. <laughs> yeah. Well, I um, think so many women yeah. deal with this. Oh my gosh. So many people. And yeah, it's, it just is, we were talking about this before, but knowing what it's like to not be there anymore and that there is an end and that it can be so like, there's just so much more brain space for other things is you just want to tell everybody. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Like the, the pain of having an eating disorder, the pain of like having your self-worth be wrapped up in your size, like literally having the shape of your body determine how you're going to feel about yourself and everything else in your life and being obsessed with food. It is so painful, so painful. And it, it takes the joy out of your life. It distracts you like you might physically be somewhere, but are you there or are you just like all up in your head thinking about food and your body? Like it, I feel like for 10 years of my life, I was not present in my life. Like I literally feel like it stole my life from me. <laughs> like there are so many things that I was doing that like I wasn't fully participating in because I was so consumed by my eating disorder that like, you're right. It's like, I know what it's like. I know how painful it is. I know how much it hurts to get up in the morning, look in the mirror or to get on the scale and literally be like, okay, well, I hate what I see or the number on the scale isn't what I want it to be. And so today's, so today's just not going to be a good day mm-hmm. and like having it run your life and getting to the other side. So like the freedom that you and I now have this like really powerful nourishing relationship with food and with our bodies, um, we just know what it's like on the other side. And so we're like, anyone who's struggling with it, we're like, I want to help you through this. I want to help get you out of this cage that you feel like you're in. Um, because the freedom, the self-expression, the joy that I now experience, not only around food, but just in literally every other facet of my life. I'm like, I want this for everyone. Mm. Like I want like, the work that I do isn't about me. It's about the people I work with. It's about the people that I want to help enjoy their lives more, you know? Yeah. And, you know, you totally resonate with all of those things, you know, and you spend so many years wishing to be somebody else. And the world needs our individuality. And if we spend all this time trying to cover it up or trying to be someone else and not accept and embrace and have space for the people that we are right now because we're so consumed with trying to be anything else. It's so sad to me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're just trying to be what we are told we're supposed to want to be. Yes. You know, like we're told that we're supposed to want the perfect body and we're told that having the perfect body means the perfect life. And so we're like, well, shit, I want the perfect life. I want happiness and health. And I want to be that like bikini babe jumping across the screen, jumping for joy. Like, 
so I totally understand why so many of us get caught in it, you know, and like why so many of us hate who we are because we're literally like, we're sold an image of what we're supposed to want. Right. And like, this isn't just about the perfect body. Like we're sold it about like marriage and kids and education and getting a job. Like there are so many things that we're told we're supposed to want Yeah, to have this great life when really like it's, it's really just a matter of embracing who you are. I mean, it sounds easy, Mm. but like embracing who you are and like loving who you are and getting connected to who you are and what you have to offer. That's like really where the magic lies, you know? Yeah. I I did a podcast episode, a solo episode around why I think it's so hard to be authentic today and like what that word means. And it's because we have so many external pressures of people telling us of what we should be, how we should, how you said everything, how we should eat, how our relationship should be, what we should be as parents, you know, the cars we drive, what it means to have money and the perfect career. And we question the things that come up in our lives and the things that we actually want to be pursuing because we're told it's wrong. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, like, we're like, we might want to pursue something, but like, oh, we've been told that we're not supposed to want to pursue that. And so like, we maybe don't honor our true desires and passions and pursue what it is we truly want because we're, we're told that it's wrong or not right. And, and I even, I mentioned this in the book. I'm like, I'm just one more person with one more opinion. Mm. Like you can totally like take, take it or leave it. What I have to say, you know, like I fully honor that. Like I am, you know, I'm just another person who's like, here's one great way to live your life. You know, I, I acknowledge that and I, I really believe in what I'm out to do and what I'm creating. And so it's like, you know, there's no, there's no right way. There's just whatever makes you feel good. It makes you feel alive. It makes you feel nourished. You know, I love that you said that. Cause I agree too. Like I'm, I'm not here to say this is the right way to do it. And it's because, because it, you can view it as the, you know, and just another forcing thing of what you should be. Because I love, and then going back to what you said, be the own decider of what works for your life and use information as tools to decide, is this good for me or is this not good for me? And sometimes that, that might mean an information detox and to just be quiet and to like take everything in and learn like, what is it that makes me happy? Like I've had to do that so many times because there are you know, in the, in the entrepreneurial space where you're trying to create your own voice, there's a lot, you know, out there. So sometimes that means just turning it all off and sitting back and being like, what do I believe? I think that's important too. Yeah. Yeah. Introspection and meditation and journaling and like, yeah, all of that's so important. Cause like, how else are you supposed to, how else are you supposed to tune in and check in and hear that stuff? You know, like getting connected to your intuition. It takes, it takes quieting. Yeah get there. And we have to separate ourselves too from the comparison because then that goes down the whole circle again. So let's turn it off what go inside of ourselves and decide for, for us. And yeah, I mean, gosh, I feel like cliches are cliches for a reason because they're almost always true. That's (laughs) how something becomes a cliche. And like comparison is the thief of joy is, Mm. you know, write that in stone because it totally is. Because, like, no matter how hard you try, you are never going to be someone else. No. It is a, it is a losing fucking battle, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's, it goes back to what we were saying before. Like, it, it, it totally steals the joy. And then you're lose, we're losing the you that we need to be seeing today because everyone has something different that, and beautiful that they can bring to the world. And so if we're trying to be someone else or if we're... If we're assuming someone else's truth, right? Because a lot of stuff we see today is not the whole truth. It questions that it makes you question what's wrong with me. Why, you know, it sends you down the rabbit hole. And so learning how to tune that out, I think is, yeah, it can bring you so much joy. Yeah. Tune it out and, or develop a really amazing filter, you know, and have media literacy you know, and realize that there's always more to the story, you know, like highlight reels on Instagram that's talked about all of the time. There's always so much more going on behind the scenes and like pictures do not tell you about people's internal states, right? Like they might have a smile on their face and be miserable inside. Absolutely. Um, and, and so like, you're right, you have to really not take everything at face value that you ingest, right? Like everything that you let into your psyche, you know, you can't take everything as hard truths, always like there's very few things that are always true all of the time Mm -hmm. 
always. Um, and so, yeah, you have to decide for yourself, you know, and the only way to do that, I think, or the best way to do that in my experience is to like slow down and tune in and like give yourself the space to ask yourself what's true for you, what feels good for you. Yeah. Because two things, I think for a long time, we've been taught to show that any other emotion except for everything is perfect is wrong. And so that's what we see all of the time is like, everyone has their shit together because if not, you're weak or X, Y, and Z. And I think we're doing a good job of moving in the direction of all emotions are okay. All emotions are needed. Um, and two, to also remember, you know, and to learn to start dissecting the truths that we have either created for ourselves or someone else has created for us. And to really understand, like, is this something I truly believe about myself? Or is this something that someone else has told me that I now believe? So there's so much work to it, but it is so person it's, it's on an individual level. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think we had talked about this before that we both spent a lot of time doing personal development work. Yeah. And, um, I think that that those are tools that we all can learn to use, you know, and to actually get clear about like, what are our limiting beliefs and what are beliefs that we inherited from the outside and that we've internalized and made our own beliefs. And one of the ones that I talk about all the time is like the belief that cellulite is gross. Mm. And like, I'm sorry, but no woman on the planet would make up that lie. That's a, that's a lie that cellulite is gross and unattractive. And we've just all internalized it. And made it our own truth that cellulite is gross and needs to go away, right? Like it's all over magazines, like who's beach mm. body, you know, who has the better body and like, you know, look at this person's cellulite and, and like, we've just decided we've like, our brains have been collectively colonized that like cellulite is this gross thing. And it's like, no woman would ever make that up. Why would we make that up? Literally almost every single one of us has cellulite. And that's just, that is literally just like how our bodies look and it's there to protect us. And, 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 uh, fat a lot of times is protective for the body. And so that's a belief that is not true and it's not our own, but we've internalized it and made it true. And it's running so many of our lives. Like for me, my eating disorder was like, I have to get rid of this cellulite under my butt. And like, I have more cellulite now than I did when I first thought it was a problem. And like, I just (laughs) don't give a shit because I don't think it's a problem anymore. Right. Like, I'm just like, I don't believe it's bad or ugly anymore. And I'm so much more free that I no longer believe in this belief, like this lie that we're told. Yeah. Or like what it means to fit into a size 10 or like certain things like that. Like I had to go shopping for a bridesmaid's dress. And before the amount of dresses that I had tried on would have crushed me and and like having to be like, can you grab a bigger size? But now it was just like, oh, this one works for my body right now. Great. You know? And it was like, there was no meaning attached to what the size meant. And it was like, that was a belief I created in my head. And it's so freeing. <laughs> I feel like this doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Or like, I can't even tell you how many times, like I would really truly need to be in a bigger size, yeah. but I would like buy the smaller size and be like, Ooh, my diet's going to be perfect. And I'm going to fit into this in like a week. Yeah. I like, <laughs> uh. Or to like hold on to clothes that no longer fit, but you're like, this is going to fit. So I'm, you know, it's like, no, that don't fit. And throw it yes. out. But I would, I totally had like my skinny clothes. Oh yeah. Oh God. Like the clothes that I would keep. And I'd be like, when I get thin, I'm going to wear this. Yes. Or like when my cellulite's gone, I'm going to wear these booty shorts, baby. <laughs> like, do I even want to wear these? No. Exactly. I'm like, do I even want to let my ass hang out? Is that really what I want? And like, the more that I sit with that, I'm like, I actually really don't want my ass to hang out, even if it's even if it's tight and you can bounce quarters off of it. But that's just not really what I want to do. No. But like, I would save those clothes totally. And then mm. one day, I realized that every time I looked at them, it made me feel shitty about myself. So I was like, okay, well, these are going away. Yeah. And that doesn't have to mean anything. It just means we're getting rid of them. And to get new clothes is like just getting new clothes. And get clothes that fit you. And get clothes that feel good. You are going to feel so much better in your body. Like literally because wearing things that are skin tight is is uncomfortable. Like not only are you going to physically feel more comfortable, but like mentally and emotionally having clothes that fit you is going to make you feel better. Yeah. I don't wear jeans because I don't like the way jeans fit. So I wear dresses and leggings 90% of the time. And it's like, that's cool to me. And it just is, yeah, you live your life so much better because you're not constantly thinking about I'm uncomfortable or 
this is too small or it just, just buy what you like and what fits and what feels good. And that's all you need. <laughs> like, I can't tell you how many times I've tried to like, like not try how many times I have forced my body in mm-hmm. a size of jeans that are too small for my yeah. body. And I'm like, I'm so glad I fit into these. You know what I mean? Oh my God. I like literally was barely able to get the button to, you know, to close. And I'm like, <gasps> like, can't breathe. The pants are so tight that I'm getting like these red indents mm-hmm. in my legs. And I'm like, but I fit in this smaller size. Yeah. Like, or you're like doing lunges around the room to like stretch them out <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Or like yes. sucking in your stomach because you're like, this is going to fit and they can't breathe. And there's, yeah, like I was, I never could do the belly Buddha, like the Buddha belly, like breathing because I never wanted it to like show because I wanted it to be sucked in, you know? I think I literally used to spend my life sucking my belly in for yeah. like 10 years. I sucked Same. my belly in all day long. I even sucked my cheeks in oh, because yeah. I so desperately wanted to have like, high cheekbones. Like I was obsessed with models. I worked in fashion Mm. and like, I loved all the models with the high cheekbones. And I was like, well, if I suck in my cheeks, will like my cheeks go in and then I'll look like I like, that's embarrassing. I've never told anyone that, but I would, I would do that all the time. Like in hopes that like my cheeks would be smaller because I have these like, you know, like kind of little chubby cheeks. Mm. (laughs) Doesn't it make your heart hurt thinking about like the stuff we used to do to try and fit into a mold that like doesn't matter? Kind of. Yeah. I would take like all the, I like took diet pills and oh, laxatives and I would like, you know, I was prescribed Adderall for a period, but I also would buy Adderall to like all of these things. Yep. So, so much to like try to change my body. And it was like, I was, I was trying to, again, heal something that was internal yep. by the external. And it just doesn't work that way. Nope. It's not the answer. Never no. will be the answer. And it's like, while I hurt thinking about that experience. It has become like, it's crazy how, how such a darkness in my life has become such a bright light for my future. Right. And how transforming it is to now be able to help other people. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you stole the words right out of my mouth. I think somewhere (laughs) on my website, it says my darkest dark gave me my lightest light. Oh, wow. And like my, um, life coach had said that the wound is where the light enters Mm. and like, totally like literally the most painful, darkest, embarrassing, shameful experience that I've went through all of the things that I used to do to myself is a hundred percent why I'm the person I am now. It's why like I can be empathetic and compassionate and understand. It's also why I'm so passionate because like, it's what we've went through and you're right. Like, like if we just judge ourselves, like if we just judge all of the things that we think we've done wrong, we don't allow our mistakes to be the teachers that they're meant to be, Mm. you know, like all of that struggle was my greatest teacher. Like, uh, there's an exercise that I did a lot, like two, maybe a year and a half ago or something. And it's called thank you darkness. Mm. And you literally, just go through and you reflect on these dark periods and like what they taught you and like what opened up for you by reflecting on all that you went through and you like, thank you, darkness. You've given me all of these things. And like, if I think about my eating disorder, my eating disorder taught me acceptance, Hmm. you know, my eating disorder taught me that imperfection is actually perfect. You know, Uh, we're there, but yeah. Like, I feel like we are, there's some connection there because literally that was, that's my story too, with the acceptance piece and the worthy piece and like all of those things. It's like, I learned how to do that from all of that dark place. And it's such a beautiful thing to be able to look at yourself and all of your, I hate this word, but flaws or things that you've struggled with and say, thank you. And to fully accept those things and know that so much beautiful growth and learnings can come from all the things that you've suppressed for so many years. Yeah. Yeah. But you have to come to a place of non-judgment and compassion and forgiveness. Yeah. It's so you have, to, you have to forgive yourself for all of the stuff that you have done. Yeah. And then you have to be compassionate and then, yeah, you have to stop judging it because you can't learn when you're judging. 
And same thing with their body sensations. As long as you're judging the cravings, as long as you're judging your hunger, as long as you're judging the way your body looks, it's really hard to be a neutral receiver of the information it sends you. You're, you're just a judgmental peanut gallery. Yeah. It's, it takes a lot, of, a lot of work and a lot of acceptance to be able to grow. And 100% needs to come from a ju- non-judgmental place because, wow, that's so important. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I, this, this went so fast. <laughs> yeah, I know. It definitely, it definitely went by really fast. Yeah. I like, I feel like we could easily talk all day. I totally a hundred percent. Well, before we end our time, two questions for you. Is there anything else you want to tell everybody? And then also where can everyone find you if they yeah. want to connect? Mm, gosh, uh, one thing to tell everybody. I, I like just start to trust yourself, you know, like the doubt that we have is debilitating Mm -hmm. and, um, just start to trust yourself. Like maybe just start to give yourself the benefit of the doubt sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and then, um, where can they find me? Mm -hmm. Ah, yes. Okay. At Kara's kitchen on Instagram, Kara with a C. And then kitchen.net on online and, and then like, you know, YouTube, Facebook, same, same thing, but I'm predominantly on Instagram. Awesome. Yay. This and was amazing. I loved chatting with you. Oh, same girl. I, there's just so much, I feel like we've gone through very similar things and our stories are here for a reason. And I'm so, so beyond grateful for the work you're doing and for this conversation and so excited to share it with the world. <laughs> Yay. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to chat. Yes, you too. And thanks everybody for listening. We will all chat soon. Bye. Thank you so, so much for listening and for being here with me. If you want more resources, pop on over to www.stephanie-dankelson.com. And until next time, stay radiant.